I want you to look in your book, if you would, to the fourth chapter of the book of Romans. The fourth chapter of the book of Romans. And I want to talk to you a little bit tonight about a great hero of the faith, Abraham. And I hope it'll be an encouragement to you. It's not a, in my mind, it's not a normal uh, revival message. But I don't argue with the Lord too much anymore about what he puts on my heart to preach and just uh, say what I feel like he wants me to say to you this evening. And I pray it'll be a blessing and a help to us. Father, initially tonight we are grateful for uh, the opportunity to be here. I'm thankful for the songs we just heard. There's such a, I mean, they're just, it was encouraging. It was a, it was a blessing uh, to just think about how you worked in the lives of others in the past, but you worked in our lives one day and did something for us that will be eternal and is eternal. Now, I pray you'd help me tonight in these uh, few minutes and not a lot of length to this message, I don't think. And uh, I pray that folks would be faithful to come throughout the week and invite their loved ones and their uh, folks that they work with and people that they know and lost people and get them under the sound of the gospel. It's an amazing thing to me to watch the gospel at work uh, for all these years in my life and see what only it can do, how it can change a family, how it can put a home back together, how it can save sinners. And I pray, Lord, you bless again tonight. I think I would be remiss, Lord, if I myself did not pray for Mrs. Cape. She has been, these several years I've been coming here, uh, such, a, such a fun lady to talk to. And she always has something interesting to say to me. And it's a blessing. I love preacher's wives. And she surely was a great pastor's wife for a long, long time. And even yesterday, how she told me how lonely she was and how she missed her husband. I pray that you would bless her tonight. If it be your will, I pray you'd raise her back up and bring her back to church even this week. We ask it now, all these favors, in Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk to you tonight for just a little bit on this topic. I won't even consider it. In the 11th verse of Romans chapter 4, it said, he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe. We call him the father of the faithful. The father of all them that believe. Think about that phrase. The father of all him, all them that believe. In verse number three, you can See, an initial work of faith says, For what saith the scriptures? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Here was a man, uh, you know, you re you've read about him. He told a lie about his relationship uh, with Sarah a time or two. 
And uh, we'll talk about it a little bit later. I don't know how you feel about his relationship with Hagar, uh, but that wasn't a very wholesome relationship. But one thing about salvation, genuine Holy Ghost salvation, it takes our sins and puts them under the blood never to be remembered against us again. There's a second opportunity of faith. I would like you to consider a moment the faith when it came to relocation. Uh, He sojourned. He was a sojourner uh, looking for a city. The Bible said over there in Hebrews uh, whose builder and maker was God. You know, the closer you get to God, the farther you're willing to go with God. There are people that are members of this church that are missionaries. And as an individual draws close to God and God wants to use them, there is no limits to where a dedicated, sold out, surrendered child of God would be willing to go. And then there's faith in dedication. We all know the story of Genesis chapter 22 when he and Isaac walked up uh, the mountain and uh, walking up one side they went and I think coming up the other side was a ram uh, that wasn't the smartest ram in the world and got his head caught in a thicket but he was exactly where God wanted him to be and God uh, let Isaac go free And see, I think Abraham knew the cost. He he knew what was going to happen. He knew if he took that boy up there, his plan, he had the knife. He was ready to take his life, but God stopped him. We'll talk a moment tonight about his, uh, this thing of faith when it comes to reproduction. Look at verse number 19. And being not weak in faith, He considered not his own body, now dead. He disregarded all of his past unbelief. God had told him that he was going to have a son. It says in verse 20, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Now, Abraham, I'm sure it went through his mind. I'm too old to have a baby. And uh, when the news came, Sarah, she laughed about it. Uh, She probably did some crying too, but it's not talked about in the Bible. I mean, here this gal is in her, gee, 90 years old, I believe. I think he's 99. She must have been quite a good-looking old gal, if you ask me. But when faith is about to assert itself, one must completely disregard their past unbelief. Child of God, don't let doubt defeat your faith in God. We have lived for the last year and a half or so with a lot of disruption in our homes, in our lives, in our nation. We need to rejoice more in the promises of God than the results of the things that were promised. The Bible says there, that he gave glory to God in verse number 20. He staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, 
giving glory to God. He gave glory to God before the product of the promise was produced. Learn to praise God for his promises. You know, our problem, just like Abraham and Sarah's, hey, we want to help God out. We, we think he needs a little assistance. And so Sarah said one day, I guess, I don't know how it all came down. I can surmise just like anybody else can. Uh, you know, Abe, I, I, I can't have a baby. But Hagar, my handmaid over here, uh, you know, she can have a baby. It's not your fault, Abe. I know that. But uh, uh, how about you just take her? And I, I don't understand all of that. There's people a lot smarter than me, how that all came down in the Old Testament. And you know what came of that union, a fellow by the name of Ishmael, who has been nothing but a burden to Israel now for 4,000 years. And there's not a Christian in this room that's been saved any length of time that hasn't created in unbelief an Ishmael or two. We, did, we take our lives into our own hands. We get interested in doing things our own way. But don't ever let all the Ishmaels that you birth keep you from producing that child of promise, that Isaac, that God wants to come out of your life and out of your ministry and out of your work. I, uh, I've been doing this a long, long time. My dad's a Baptist preacher. He's, uh, not, he can't do much anymore, uh, but he'd been preaching a long, long time and, and I've been preaching. All my brothers were preachers and we're just a family of preachers and I guess uh, you know no, none of us know how to do anything else but preach. And uh, I guess maybe we're just incapable. I don't know uh, what it is. But I've seen a lot of negative things in uh, the lives of people. I had a friend and he was unfaithful to his wife and got his life tangled up and that kind of thing. And his wife, uh, so graciously as he had repented, uh, she took him back and he went to his church and the church forgave him. That's what a church, I think, ought to do. I don't think there's anybody in this room that hasn't sinned, maybe not to that extent, but the church forgave him and God had forgiven him. You know, I'm not, I'm not as worried about people who do wrong and repent as I am about the people who do wrong and are unrepentant. Just keep on doing it. Just keep on living wrong and will not get right with God. I probably have told this in this pulpit before, but I started out in evangelism in 1976 and had a, I don't know, I was principal of a Christian school and I had so many meetings. Uh, it was difficult to do both jobs. You couldn't juggle both of those jobs. It was impossible. And so I struggled with what to do and uh, when to just cut the shoreline and uh, 
just do one of the two because she wasn't doing very well trying to do both. And uh, in the mix there, back in 1977, a church in a beautiful part of Michigan, well, not beautiful in the, Michigan, in the, in the wintertime, but beautiful in the summertime, uh, they called me and asked me to come and candidate to be their pastor. And I, uh, so I went, my wife and I went up there and for the weekend to preach. And I borrowed my father-in-law's car. He had a brand new 98 Oldsmobile, baby blue, big, beautiful automobile, air conditioning, push button windows. You know, everything's got that nowadays. But back in 1976, 77, it wasn't quite like that. And my car at the time was a 1970 Dodge Swinger, <laughs> which was a horrible looking automobile. Little slant six, had to wind the windows all by yourself, no air conditioning, didn't even have a radio in it. You, know, you ride in it, you'd have to talk to your wife. I mean, it was a difficult <laughs> vehicle. And I preached that Sunday and uh, came home and I, they voted on Wednesday night and I got 98% of the vote. Now I was so dumb back then, I thought that you had to have 100%. I've since learned that if you get 100% of the Baptists to agree on anything, it's probably wrong. <laughs> and I didn't take the church and I'll just be honest with you, one of the reasons I didn't go and really it became a paramount reason in my uh, you know, juvenile mind at the time, I'm not going to be driving my father-in-law's car up there. He's not going to give me that car. I got to drive my old clunker up there. And if I pull my old car up there on the parking lot, they're going to probably have it towed away between church, Sunday school and church. And I didn't go. I, I, I didn't take the church. And it may have been the will of God. I don't know. The salary was a lot more than I sure was making in evangelism uh, the first year or two uh, that I was uh, preaching meetings. But you have to disregard uh, your past mistakes. You have to disregard your past mess-ups that you can produce in God's promises in the future. Don't let your past ruin your future. I guess I sort of could have just said that one sentence and we could have gone to the house and the message would be over, except that's only the first point. I got three or four more. <laughs> then you need to disregard the weaknesses of those that you're associated with. You know, it's very easy to blame other people for our failures in faith. In verse 19, it talks about the deadness of Sarah's womb. She could not physically have a baby. It was an impossibility. But it made no difference in the light of the fact of what God's word had said to that little couple. You know, sometimes in life, uh, there are people that you reach and people that, and I've seen it in churches. <laughs> I've been in, you know, I, I'm a member of a church and I've seen new people come into the church and they'll say, does that guy go to your church? Well, yes, he's a very faithful member. Well, the guy's a scallywag. Uh, he ripped me off on a car. 
Uh, he cheated me over at the store. Uh, and sometimes people that sit in our churches are not exactly an exemplary uh, part of the human race. And they're not a plus to the community. And somebody comes in and sees that. God help us as Christians to live a life that is above reproach. Live clean, do right, be faithful. Do things that are pleasing to God and bring honor and glory to him. See, Abraham had a guy named Lot in his life. Nephew. That guy, he, he wasn't much good. He desired the well-watered plains of Sodom. Went down there, the Bible says in the book of Luke, that he vexed his righteous soul daily. He put up with that mess every day. You know, it's amazing. You know, you know what he had to put up with, don't you? Sodomy. To put it down where we live, homosexuals. And some of us put up with those kind of people on our televisions every day. God help us. You know, there is an element of, I want to say this right, uh, music ministry in America. That's among quote unquote saved people that has the same problem to epidemic proportions. God help us. I know what God believes about that vile sin. He destroyed five cities over that. Hagar, she was not a blessing to that family. Sometimes you got to deal with negative things in your home and in your family. You may have a lost husband. You may have a lost wife. You may be a young person with lost parents. There was an Ishmael that showed up. Sarah wasn't the most spiritual woman in all of the Bible. You must disregard the weaknesses that you observe in others and don't let that keep you from serving God and living a life of faith. Then he had to disregard his own past failures. Now I'm not trying to be X-rated. But they'd been trying to have a baby. I don't know how long they'd been married. But they were trying to have a baby the way you have a baby. You know, on Valentine's Day, he'd get her some candies and roses. Some of you are saying, did they have Valentine's way back then? <laughs> you know, he'd, he'd take her out on, well, he wouldn't take her out on Friday night because or that was a Sabbath, or Saturday, but wouldn't take her out on Saturday night. That was a Sabbath. They couldn't do that. But I mean, they're trying to have a baby in the way you have a baby. But it, to no avail. Nothing had happened. You know, he tried to get her in the right mood and, you know, walk down Lover's Lane and he recognized it wasn't his fault and there was some evidence there, a little kid by the name of Ishmael, he knew it wasn't his fault. And nothing happened. They never had a child. Sometimes you pray, you ever do this, you ever pray about something serious, something so vital and important to you, and nothing happens. 
You go out knocking on doors, and that's, you know, that might be a thing of the past. You go out witnessing, trying to reach people with the gospel, and nothing happens. You talk to a guy one time, hey, keep at it. My wife told me today, I called her this evening, a boy, I think I mentioned him yesterday in my preaching, talking about witnessing to a neighbor, and he'd been shacking up with the neighbor lady, and he came by the house today, and dropped off a card, and thanking me for talking to him, and, and I, he said, we need to get together. I, really, the poor kid just needs to get born again. Amen. He needs to get saved. He, made a, you know, a spurious profession uh, behind bars in the county jail. But it, there, listen, if you get born again, you become a new creature in Christ Jesus. There's not a person like that brother sang about a little bit ago when he, you know, when it happened and what took place, you know what changed in your life. Amen. If you've been saved in the length of time, there probably was a initial time in your life when after you got, I got a preacher friend, he's a great preacher, very successful evangelist. He got saved out of a pretty, he was a bouncer in a bar and he got saved on Sunday and I don't know, we went to the midweek service, I don't remember if soul winning it was the night before or it was the Thursday night after, I don't remember, I've heard him give his testimony and he said they went out to a home. They're sitting there on the couch. The fellow who has been saved a while, he's witnessing to the fellow. And the man uh, turns to them in the course of the conversation. And he said, uh, uh, would either of you like a cigarette? And my friend said, yeah, I'd like one. And here he's only been saved four days. And so the guy handed him a cigarette and he lights it up. And he's sitting there smoking. The guy's trying to get this other guy saved. He got him outside and he said, what in the world's the matter? He said, I didn't know it was wrong. How would you know it was wrong if you didn't know it was wrong? That's, I've never said that before, but that really made a lot of sense to me. It may not to you. Just think. You ever give up praying for somebody? Maybe one more prayer. You ever give up witnessing to somebody? Maybe one more trip. That would be the one. What if you, what if you, what if somebody would have stopped one time before they told you? What if they never knocked? A week less, I have knocked on Bob's door 432 times. I am not knocking on Bob's door again. I hope there's not a Bob here tonight. Is there a Bob here tonight? You know, Bob is kind of a, more of a northern name than a southern name, isn't it? Down here, I think they're called Billy Bob. But I, <laughs> I had an Uncle Bob. You talk about a great soul. You know, sometimes you have to see faith with a microscope. And you've got to get right down there and see that tiny little uh, particle at work. And you can do something from that. And other times you've got to see faith through a telescope. And you've got to be able to look way down the road and see what God wants to do and will do in somebody's life. Now, I've been at your preacher's house and staying there in the upper room, and uh, he's talked to me yesterday a lot about it, 
and I got in a vehicle tonight to come to church, and I noticed something that he'd been talking to me about in his lawn. He's talking to me about bamboo. And he's got a neighbor that has a lot of bamboo. Is, this, are, is your neighbor here tonight? The preacher is trying to kill that bamboo. <laughs> I hope the neighbor doesn't get this online. We'll have a war going on. But I mean, that stuff really is, it's, it's quite the stuff. I, I don't really know a lot about bamboo. But I got one illustration about bamboo, and I'm, it's in this sermon. There is a type of bamboo that when it is planted for four years, there is not one bit of growth. Nothing. You'd think you'd wasted whether they plant it by seeds or, or seedlings or saplings. I don't know how. But for four years, there's no evident growth whatsoever. But in the fifth year of that particular time, uh, kind of, of bamboo, it grows 90 feet in 60 days. You better thank God your neighbor doesn't have that kind. <laughs> doesn't grow a bit for four years in 90, day, 90 feet in 60 days. My goodness, that'd be something to see. I'd like to see it. You ever get involved in the Lord's work? Sometimes there's stuff that comes right up and other times it takes a long, long time to work in somebody's life. There's always going to be a Sarah that's dead to what God wants to do in your life. There's always going to be somebody uh, to put a stumbling block in your path. There's always going to be somebody to throw an anchor out of your life as you're setting sail to do something for God. But you have to disregard it. You have to put it aside and set your sails for serving God. Then disregard present conditions. I mean, this is how serious it was. It says in verse number 19, now dead. It's dead. There's no way to have any child come from this union. Or she's dead. Her womb is dead. You ever get to the place where you have no money and you have no direction and you don't know which way to go and all you have get to do is just trust God? That's a lot better place to be. See, faith's completion is an invisible project that blossoms into fact, thus becoming reality, and it's only manifested by faith. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Faith is the greatest, one of the greatest, I guess would be a better term, faith is one of the greatest tools in the child of God's work belt. Faith in God. Not talking about having faith in man. Not talking about having faith in the best man in America, whoever that might be. I was in Texas last week. And one of those idiots down there told me, said, all the oil's in Texas, but the dipstick's in Washington, D.C. I, I, I wish they hadn't have told me that. I heard a story about a 
operation in a hospital. Excuse me, an operator in a hospital. You know, back in the day, operators, you know, they'd have those, you young people don't know what I'm talking about. They had those things, they'd plug them in, you know, and they'd have those earphones and all that business. And this particular operator, she would, uh, uh, she was an eavesdropper. She, of course, it was part of her position and job. She would overhear just about everything that went on in that hospital. And she was kind of a sadistic uh, eavesdropper. And one day, a pastor brought his wife in to the hospital to have their baby. And the baby was born, and the baby was born severely handicapped. And so the operator recognized that the mother who had had the baby was calling her mother, you know, from the telephone. I don't know if they even have telephones by the beds anymore in hospitals, but the telephone by her bed and had to put it through the operator so she could get it to her mother wherever her mother was in a distant state. And that operator said, oh, boy. I cannot wait to hear what this supposed Christian, this, this supposed preacher's wife has to say about this handicapped child, this disfigured baby. And so she, over, she listened. She eavesdropped. And over the telephone, she heard these words. Mom, God has blessed us with a handicapped baby. We do not know as yet the full extent of the blessing. And the operator was completely stunned. She expected hysteria. Uh, she expected to hear the voice of a crushed Christian. But to her credit, what she had heard over the phone went like wildfire through the hospital. She told everybody, you won't believe what they... That mother said to her mom how grateful she was for the gift that was given and what a blessing it would be down the road. The next Sunday, in that pastor's church, sat the operator and 70 nurses from that hospital in the congregation. The pastor preached the gospel that morning and at the invitation, he barely looked up and that morning in the altars of his church, there were 30 nurses and that operator on the altar trusting Jesus Christ as their savior. In God's divine plan, one less than perfect child equals 31 grown-up adult people saved by the grace of God. I heard that story, and this thought went through my mind. How many of us healthy, quote-unquote, normal folk, have even bothered to win anybody to Jesus Christ this year. Or even attempted to win somebody to Jesus Christ 
this year. A handicapped, disfigured little baby boy God used to reach 31 people. There's Christians in this room, born-again Christians, good people, saved people, headed for heaven people that haven't even passed a track out this year. They haven't witnessed to one person this year. They haven't talked to a waitress. They haven't talked to the guy at the gas station. They haven't talked to a coworker. They haven't one time tried to tell anybody about that great salvation our brother sang about a few minutes ago. God help us. God help us. I have her name written down. I would not read it. But missionary, blank, blank, was raped by five men on the mission field. She suppressed that memory for a long, long time. She never told a soul what had happened to her. One day, she was speaking to a group of women at a mission conference here in the States. And in the course of her communication to those ladies, God impressed upon her to tell her story. She was about halfway through. She said, I, I don't, I don't want to tell the story. She obeyed the Lord. She began to tell it weepingly. And, of course, it just moved the audience. I was in a mission conference, not this one, but another mission conference years ago where a precious white-haired lady, probably in her 70s, had experienced something in Atlanta, Georgia, in a hotel even far worse than what happened to this one. She gave her testimony to about 150 or 200 women that day. All the men came back. We had to stand out in the lobby. We didn't know what was going on. When that service was over, when that woman had told what had happened to her, my wife told me what she had said. The women just came weeping flooding out of there with tears flowing. We, it took, what in the world is going on? This precious lady, and I, again, I would not call her name. When the service was over, altars were filled, of course. And, uh, one young lady had gotten saved in the course of that afternoon service. And so her mother was there and her mother uh, tried to introduce her to the missionary lady and she said, uh, my daughter just got saved. And of course there was a crowd of people around and the missionary lady just kind of, you know, oh, that's wonderful, that's good. Her mother said, hold it. You don't understand. My daughter was raped.
She hasn't spoken one word in two years. One word, and spoken one word in two years. Until tonight, on that altar, when she said, Dear Jesus, I want you to save me. And he did. And he saved her. There's a lot of difficulties in life. These situations that people face. You know, the, the, the gold of our faith can handle the fire of affliction. God's grace is sufficient for all that we have to face in life. I want you to consider in closing, disregard the time lapse between the promise and the fulfillment. It was a long time. It said there in verse number 17, he calleth those things which be not as though they were. Boy, that's, that's uh, evidence of things hoped for or, or the, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Calleth those things which be not as though they were. I'm old now, Abe said, and Sarah said, I'm right with you, old man. So what? Verse 21, being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform. God can do anything. Amen. You got some loved one, some friend, some family member, some one that dwells in your household that needs help. God can work it out. I'm here tonight because an old man some 50 plus years ago, laid out on the carpet in his office. I've, I've seen the place where he used to lay and said, God, I'm not gonna let the devil have my boy. It took a long time for me to come around. But thank God for those prayers. And the prayers of a mother. Surely prayers for others in our old church up there that prayed for this wayward boy. Patience is waiting on God to do what he says when he thinks we are ready to handle it. Right. Remember David wanted to build a temple? God said, uh-uh, big boy. You can gather all the, all the uh, lumber, all the gold, all the silver. You can, you can gather everything else, but you're not going to do it, man. I'll let your boy do it. I'll let Solomon do it. Faith helps others. It encourages others. I like what it says in verse number 23. Now it is not written for his sake alone, and verse 24, but for us also. I'm thankful. You know, you, the, the song our brother sang and, and the, the things we read and know about the past, it helps us to know that the same God that helped people in the past is the same God that will help us in the present. Amen. Have faith in God. The disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. God help us. 
one of my favorite illustrations, and I'll quit. It might be a little trait, I don't know, but I, I like it. There's a story of, and some of you remember, and I, you know, we had candy stores when I was a little kid. You know, the kind that had those big uh, jugs of stuff, barrels of stuff, or glass jars of stuff, and a kid could reach in and get stuff. But I see them now in places, oh, maybe not so much since COVID, but I haven't been to any resort places since COVID either. But in the last decade or so, you go to a country store and they still have those, those kind of things. They're wonderful. And a little boy had come to town with his mom and, and he'd just been real good in the store. You know, the mother had a list and she'd order the stuff and the proprietor would go and pick it off this shelf and go in the back room. And like any wise proprietor, he kind of kept his eye on that little boy because little boys had a propensity to steal things. And he watched that boy, and the boy never moved. Just stood there just as good as gold. And so when the transaction was completed, the proprietor of that store, he said, son, I'll tell you what you can do. And any of these little barrels of candy here, you can reach in and grab a whole handful if you want to. You'd like whatever you'd like, just grab it and get it. And the little boy just <laughs> stood there, you know, just humble and shy, like, and then and his mother, you know, she kind of pushed him in. Go ahead, go ahead, Johnny, get, get up there. I always use Johnny because I have an idiot brother named Johnny. I <laughs> always use that. Johnny, go up there, Johnny. Oh, you know him. <laughs> and get up there, Johnny. And he, uh-uh, uh-uh, mama, uh-uh, I don't want And finally, you know, when other customers are coming in, he can't waste his time with that kid all the time. And that proprietor reached in with both hands and pulled out a big pile of candy and put it in that kid's face. He was reaching out, grabbing it. He was putting it in every pocket in his mother's purse and every, he just loaded up. And when they walked out of the store, his mother said, son, why didn't you just reach in and, and get a little handful of that? He said, mama, I figured he might do that. And I knew he had bigger hands than me. Amen. And I know we have a God yes. that has bigger hands yes. than we do. He can give us abundantly, abundantly above and beyond whatever we may ask or think about. We serve a great God. We serve a wonderful Savior. We serve a God that wants to do best for each and every one of us in our lives. I don't know where you are tonight down the road of being a Christian. I have no idea. But wherever you are, you can keep on going. You don't have to turn around. You don't have to stop. You don't have to get discouraged. You can live your life of faith and trust the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David and Solomon and all of the men we read about in this blessed book. The same God that they served and loved and worshiped is the same God that we serve and love and worship.